Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Amen. How are we, church? Better, better than average. <laughs> Worship was just one of those where I was like, I don't think I have to do anything this morning. We could just do this for a while. You know what I mean? If you, uh, if you missed the encounter night, by the way, on Wednesday, uh, you missed it and it was awesome. And you should definitely plan on being there. Um, you're saying, oh my gosh, like, let me, when is this going to be happening? The first Wednesday of the month. And you could say in a few weeks, like, oh, I'm busy that night. Uh, or you could just put it on your calendar now and make sure you're not busy that night so that you can be here. Isn't it funny how that works? <laughs> Amen. Um, I want to draw attention to just a couple things real quick before we jump into the message. And uh, the first really is just that we have some groups uh, that are just getting going, that are building some momentum. And so if you missed the kind of signups, the on-ramp for groups um, a few weeks back, just want to kind of re-put that on your radar here uh, and highlight maybe just a couple that are happening that might pique your curiosity a little bit. Uh, Mike Clow is leading a veterans group and they're meeting here at the church a couple times a month. And I think this is just one that is, is so pertinent right now. If you have, if you have served, if you are serving, if you are in family, close family with somebody who is serving or has served, I just want to put that group on your radar because I think it's going to minister to a very specific, but also a very important part of our body. Amen. And so that is going to be a group that he's hosting. You can get more information about that on the website. Uh, the other one that's going on that I just want to draw your attention to is Pat and Kate Bell are doing a, a reading through scripture group where they're going to meet actually during second service. And so for some of you parents who are just really busy and, and maybe you just need to utilize childcare a little better, um, they are just going to be reading through. And right now they've kind of shifted what they're reading through. They're just going to be reading through Exodus over the next several weeks. Uh, we're going to be in Exodus until Christmas Eve. And so they're going to meet during second service in room 140, which if you, if you don't know, our hallway is just one kind of big lap around this room and 140 is in this back corner back here. And they're gonna be doing that during second service, really just and it's like, what are they going to be doing? No, they're going to be just reading scripture. Like that's what they're doing. They're, they are just reading through the Bible, a light discussion on it, but mostly an emphasis on reading the text and seeing what it has to say. Cool. Bunch of other ones, lots of different stuff going on. If you want to jump into more community, get on gschurch.info. There's a button there that you can click on with groups and there's a whole bunch more information on the groups I mentioned, but then also some other groups that are going on. Um, so Exodus, uh, we started and we kicked off this great book last week. And really my plan last week was just to show you and just kind of convince you that this is not just a story that we're jumping into as if it's a fresh story. It's a story that's been, been told already. Like Genesis is part one of Exodus. We can't come to Exodus. Exodus and read the first few verses without some sort of context or some sort of idea of what's happening in the biblical narrative so far. And so as we get to Exodus, the beginning just reads like, oh, there were, you know, 70 people from this family that came down. And if you just read that and you don't know the story that's been written all throughout Genesis, you miss the fact that God is already being faithful to his promises. God is being faithful to this guy named Abraham and he's bringing about this family through him, through whom this family, the world is gonna be blessed. And so we're gonna pick up the story in Exodus chapter one today. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and grab it. And we're gonna start in verse eight. And I made this deal last week where I was like, you know what, we're not gonna read this verse by verse. And today we're gonna read like one whole chapter together. <laughs> 
It's just all too good. It's all too good. And, and there's a story here that really, it reads as one story, even though it's kind of broken across two chapters. And so we're going to read all the way from Exodus 1.8, all the way down through 2.10. So I'd encourage you even right now, um, if, you, if you don't usually do this, maybe now would be a good time for you to get the Bible app out on your phone or maybe to grab your physical Bible and read along with me. It's going to be on the screen, but it's always good, I think, if you can see it in front of you as well. I'm going to read through this. And then really, I just have a few things that I want to pick apart uh, and pull out of it for the rest of our time together today. Starting in verse eight. Uh, Now there arose a new king over Egypt, one who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come and let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. I want you just to get that verse in your bones. If you maybe, if you highlight, if you write in your Bible, that would be a good one just to circle. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. And the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. And in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives because the plan's not working at this point. He's figuring it out. He calls the midwives and he says to them, why have you done this? Why have you let the male children live? The midwife said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. They just make up this sweet lie. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live one thing, and we're going to come back to it and draw attention to it, but I want you to feel the, 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 the lack of reverence or appreciation for daughters that Pharaoh has in his heart. And he doesn't see them as a threat. He doesn't see them as a problem. And that's going to be ironic here in a little bit. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. She hid him because there was all this uh, threat that he could be killed by anyone at this point. That's the edict that's gone from Pharaoh, that he could just be tossed into the Nile. And so she hides him. And when she could hide him no longer, she took him a basket made from bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance, uh, stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young woman walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and she sent her servant women and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews children. Then his sister called to Pharaoh's daughter. So, so this is Moses' sister hiding from a distance, calling out to Pharaoh's daughter as, as Moses is being pulled out of the water. And, and she says, shall I go and call you Uh, call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother, Moses' mom. 
And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Not just an awesome story. It's an awesome story, but it's also, it's a really heavy story. It's a really dark story. Like I, I, I want us as we go today to kind of feel the weight of what's happening here to Israel in Egypt. Because we, we read so quickly through the book, through the book of uh, Exodus, maybe through the story of uh, Israel in Egypt. And I even said last week, really the story of Israel down in Egypt is gonna take four main movements as we go throughout this book. We're gonna see Israel in captivity, in bondage, enslaved. And then we're gonna see them dramatically rescued and liberated. And we're gonna see their freedom come. And then we're gonna see them wander through the wilderness and whine and complain. And you go, oh my gosh, these people are the worst. And we talked about last week, how you gotta have the shift and you gotta remember that uh, we are them and they are us. And so when you're reading and you're like, oh my gosh, these people are terrible. Just remember what you're saying about yourself in that moment, right? And then the story ends with this dramatic uh, renewal or or this dramatic um, um, coming back together of the presence of God with his people through through covenant, through covenant. Those are the four main windows that the book of Exodus moves through. But right now we're stuck in the part of the story uh, that's really dark and it's really heavy. And I, and I want to remind you before we even really dive into the points that I have for this message today, that, that this is a part of the story. And if we lift it out of the narrative, we're going to get confused and we're going to draw wrong conclusions. The story that we're reading about right now is Israel being oppressed and it's heavy, but we have to keep in mind that God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. So we're generations now moved from Joseph and we're now uh, seeing this, this, this people group, Israel, being dramatically oppressed and enslaved to do all these things through very hard labor. It says in verse 12, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. Church, this is such a word for who we are today as the church of Jesus Christ. That, that even though there are, there's persecution arising, even though there are trials that we are facing today, and let's like, let, this keeps it in perspective, does it not? Like we go, oh my gosh, uh, Instagram went out for six hours this week and that was a real trial of mine this week, you know? <laughs> this is not the right service for that. The younger people, I guess, are in second service, but you know what I mean? And if you didn't know, Instagram and Facebook both were down for like a half a day this week. Um, oh, and we, uh, we, we approach masks. And we go, oh my gosh, the oppression and the persecution. And, and, and it's like, well, hold on. But here, what we see is they're enslaved, being told what to do, freely beaten, freely given more orders, freely, their kids are going to be snatched from them, taken from them, thrown in the Nile. It's a terrible, terrible time. And yet God, God will not cease being with his people. And this is, is as, as Jesus is speaking to Peter, he says, Peter, on, on this rock, I will build my church. And what does he say? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, listen, I can't, I can't numerically give you just this perfect graph of how this works, but the more the church faces persecution, the more the church is pressed and is pushed out to the margins and faces this oppression, the more she comes alive. The more we're refined and the more we know what we actually stand on, we know what we're actually for. We are sh- more sure of what we believe in and we're more sure of our mission in this world. And the more that we're pressed on, the more the church comes alive. And, and, we, and we lose sight of this sometimes, I think, in the country that we live in because we have so many things that go so well for us. But around the world, you know where the church is growing the fastest? It's in places where the church is being most fiercely persecuted. The underground church in Southeast Asia, in South America, where, where Christians have to actually risk their life to become a follower of Jesus. And that is where the church is coming alive. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. 
the promises of God are gonna keep moving through God's people. And God's people, even though they can't see it all the time, are, are called to recognize that God is always at work. He's always at work. And so the next thing that we're gonna see is that uh, if we're gonna live in this time where there's kind of this harshness or this, or this persecution, or maybe things are tough, maybe there are trials, we have to keep the assignment in mind. We have to live and understand that we live on assignment as followers of Jesus Christ. I, I love the phrase in verse 17, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king commanded them, but let the male children live. Y'all, these midwives were bad at the bone. Can we just agree? Like they are dealing with a guy, Pharaoh, who is, who is dark and who is corrupt and he's willing to kill babies and they're gonna risk their lives defying him. Listen, um, women, I wanna talk to you for just a moment here. You are not a background player in the story of God in this world. Over and over, we're gonna see time and time again. I mean, we could go, who, to go through Rahab, Deborah. We could go through uh, Mary and Martha. We could go through uh, the, the grandmother and mother to Timothy who laid hands on him and prayed for him. Women, like you're not a secondary player to the gospel going forward in this world that we live in. And I love that these midwives, they didn't wait around for some man to fix the rules or the circumstances that they were living in. But the women feared God. Give me some God-fearing women and I think we could storm any hill that, that there ever was in this world. And I just, I think that as the, I don't know if it's just the culture we lived in, I don't know if it's the culture you grew up in. I don't think it's even necessarily what we're doing right now, but I think there have been things that have happened and ways that have framed your thinking that women, you think that you just should take a backseat to what men are doing. And these women, they, they look almost in the face of Pharaoh and they say, I don't care about you, man. I don't care what you say. And I'm gonna do what God has called me to do. And I just hope that would, that would steep in the bones of you women in this room right now. That you don't have to wait. Your ministry doesn't have to wait to start for your family to come. Your ministry doesn't have to wait to start for, for somebody to get on board with you. You just, you fear the Lord. You know what you're called to do and you do it. Amen. The other thing, just a quick point out of this is the commentary that I was reading as I was preparing for this week um, showed me, and I think it's true, that, that when we have a reverence for the Lord, it's always gonna create in us a reverence for life. Let me say that again. When you, when you have reverence in your heart for the Lord, when you respect him, when you're in awe of him, when you're captivated by who he is, you will always respect and you will be in awe of and you will be captivated by life. And so I think there's a lot of things going on right now in the pro-life movement, right? A lot of things that we should be uh, even excited about. A lot of things were, that are be, they're being pushed all the way probably to the Supreme Court and, and we might see some abortion laws change in our day. And that's an amazing thing. And church, I just want to remind you right now that as policy maybe comes back into where we think it should be for, for the pro-life movement, now it is more pivotal than ever for the church to be pro-life and not just anti-abortion. Like we should be more involved in single moms' lives. We should be reaching out to, to those who find themselves in a teen pregnancy kind of moment where they just don't know what's going on. Like, like I was sitting down and talking with a guy who works with Young Lives, which is a, an arm of Young Life that cares specifically for teen moms. And he was saying, Austin, it's, it's amazing. There's so much support for people not to get an abortion in the, in the county that we live in here. I'm talking in Larimer County. I'm not talking about the United States. He's saying there's so much support for women to, to choose life and to, and to get medical care and all that. But he said the support just falls off a cliff as soon as they have the baby. Church, this ought not be. It ought not be this way. Like we should, we should run to and we should care for people who are, who are scared and who are, who are concerned and who have these deep-seated maybe things going on that they need more than all else. We need them to know that we love them 
and we're willing to serve them. Listen to me, if you're sitting in this room today and you've had an abortion before, and, or if you are a teen mom, if you had, uh, if you had a baby out of wedlock and you ha- you're a single mom for a little while, I just wanna say, we love you. We love you. I I believe God is for you. God is with you. God wants to continue to work in you and through you, in your kids and through your kids. This is, this is the gospel story. It's not just, it's not just reserved for these perfect little families that are all put together and have no issues. (laughs) I said this last week. If you go and read Genesis, there is no such thing as a perfect family. They're all so jacked up. (laughs) And we need to, as the church, embrace that, that there is no lesser than in the kingdom of God. There is only Imago Dei. There's only image bearers of God and all image bearers are worthy of this reverence and this awe for life that we all carry. Amen? Amen. And so we have to be, we have to be, especially as things happen in the culture that we're living in, we have to be pro-life, not just anti-abortion. The third thing that I wanna see in this part is understanding the assignment is that, is that really uh, the plan of God is gonna move through some really unlikely spaces here. Through, through a baby, uh, through, through Pharaoh's daughter, through these midwives, uh, the plan of God often doesn't just look like the way we want it to look. And so on the one hand, you're like, man, if we could just get this guy in the White House, or if we could just get these one laws passed, or if we could just do this one big thing, then, then God will really move in our country. And I'm saying, no, maybe that will help. But where we have to take the ownership as the church is to go, nope, God moves through the least of these most profoundly. It is when we are weak that he is made strong. And so as we embrace that each of us has been given an assignment, if you have been reconciled and redeemed, your job is to bring reconciliation and redemption into the world that we're living in. Like there, there are no spectators in the kingdom of God. We say this all the time. I was trying to think of like, man, what's a new way to say this this week? And I thought of the fact that like, um, I've never been in a fist fight. Anyone, you know what? This will be fun. Let's do this. Who's been in a fist fight? Raise your hand. Look, look around. You'd be surprised for a second here. There's some, yeah, my dad's got his hand up. It's amazing. <laughs> Tell me that story later, man. Yeah, all right. I, uh, well, not that we're proud of it or anything, right? That's not what I'm, that's not what I'm going for. But just, uh, I, think, I think what we like to do sometimes is we like to watch other people fight. Like you like to watch other people use their gifts in the kingdom of God. You like to say, wow, man, listen, all that cool stuff, the, the, bringing, the bringing reconciliation, preaching the gospel, uh, bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, ministering to the sick, healing, loving those who have been broken and, and wearied and, and who are tired. Uh, that's all for those people. And we just watch people have it like you watch a fight. Like church, you were made to throw hands with the devil. You were made to get in the fight. I, I've, always, like, I've always kind of wanted to be in a fight. You know, not, not like for a wrong reason, not like out of sin or thing, but like a, 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 right, a, self, a good, righteous anger like Jesus has when he's overthrown the, 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 the tables in the temple, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, man, man, I just wonder what that would feel like to just throw a punch and just have your knuckles ring with pain, you know what I mean? <laughs> hear me, hear me. But this is, this is why I think Christianity is so boring for people. It's because you think it's all about just like, having good behavior and watching other people do the things that you were made to do. Listen, I'm not the only person in this room who was made to preach the gospel. Every single one of you were made and redeemed so that you could preach the gospel to the people in your life. Obviously like context might be different. You might never get up here on this stage and stand and preach the way that I'm preaching right now, but you have people in your life who need to hear the story of redemption. Amen. Like, listen, 
Christianity should not be boring. It's not just this like, oh, let me just look down at my own behavior, see how I'm doing. Oh, I'm not doing very good. Oh, do I have Christian friends? Oh, do I go to church? Like if you make Christianity that, that is so boring. You were made to throw hands with the devil, church. Like you were made to fight. You're made to get into the thick of it with people, to actually go and actually get into the fringes, into the rough places in our culture and go and show love and to bring light. This is how Jesus puts it. Jesus, Jesus is the light, right? He says uh, in John, he says, I am the light of the world. And here's what he says in Matthew, his words. He says, you are the light of the world. It's like, hold on, Jesus, what are you talking about here? Is it you that's the light of the world? Is it me that's the light of the world? He says, a city set on a hill can't be hidden, nor do people light a lamp no do people light a lamp like Jesus is the light of the world. If, if you've professed faith in him, if you are following after him, he has, he has put that light into you now. And now you are this lamp. He has lit you up and you're now this lamp. He says, you don't just take a lamp and put it under a basket. But no, what you do is you take it out and you put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. All in the house. Like you should be a light, whatever house you find yourself in whether that's your physical home and your family's far from God, whether that's your workplace, whether that's the place that you play, the places where you hang out with your kids, the places where you um, eat and shop and do all these different things. You, that's your house. You're called to be a lamp, sitting on a lampstand, witnessing to, showing the light of God to the world around you. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father in heaven. This is, this is the call of every single person in the church. We're called to get involved. I, I, I'm, I am kind of fed up with just like, let's just complain about how awful the world is. And I'm like, you know what? Let's, let's go meet people. Let's go talk to people. Let's like get outside of the walls a little bit and actually do the things that Jesus told us we'd be capable of doing. Amen? Amen. Amen. The next thing that I see is that sin is absolutely insatiable. Sin is absolutely insatiable. If we kind of look at this uh, character, Pharaoh. And this is not the same Pharaoh that Moses is going to um, come and the plagues are going to happen to later. This is a different Pharaoh, the king of Egypt at this time. If we look at kind of his trajectory here, he starts with this insecurity, right? It starts with this insecurity about the people of Israel are going to get too strong, where they're going to get, they're going to rise up. There's going to be too many of them. And so we need to find a way to take care of some of them. And, and really it all starts with this like insecurity to his power. He gets a little nervous that, that Israel is going to take him over. And so he makes, it moves for them from insecurity to these kind of like backroom shady deals, if you will, where he grabs the midwives and he's like, hey, listen, uh, Hebrew boys, you're just going to start to kill them. The girls are fine. Don't, don't worry about them. I mean, it's almost like he's just saying in that moment, like they're powerless. And in that culture, it was like, they mean nothing. They mean nothing. They're powerless. Don't worry about them. It's just the men that we got to worry about. So just kill the boys, kill the boys, take care of them. And then when that, when that stops working, he then goes to this in verse 22. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. I just, can you imagine the horror? I mean, there's, there were babies crying in this, in this service earlier. There's always movement, it feels like, in these services. Can you imagine if, if the stress, the heartache, that if your baby made some noise, that somebody else could just snatch your baby and kill it? And this is what the people of Israel are living, living with right now. Uh, again, you got to be reminded, the plan of God is always moving forward, but this is a really dark moment for the people of God. This is heavy and it's hard. And it's because sin is absolutely insatiable. Pharaoh, Pharaoh is, this, is this picture for us where we see, oh my gosh, um, you can never satisfy sin enough. 
what, like as soon as he starts to get insecure, as soon as he starts to grap, grapple with power, um, you know, Tim Keller's done a lot of work on like the four source idols that every single one of us is gonna have. And it's power, approval, control, um, power, approval, control. Oh, I wrote them down. Power, approval, control. And there's a fourth one. It's really good. Um, darn, that's gonna bug me. There's these four source idols that every single one of us is gonna wrestle with. And as we leave those unchecked, it's gonna cause us to do things that we're not supposed to do. It's gonna cause us to put our trust in, to put our hope in things that where they shouldn't be. And we're gonna run after and we're gonna do things that we aren't supposed to do. And so what Pharaoh does, is he starts to kind of make these backroom deals. And you can see just this corruptness that's happening politically here where he starts to say, okay, we're gonna just oppress this people group in this way and nobody's even gonna know about it. But then once that stops working, then it goes on a full-blown genocide. And he just says this in, as soon as you see a baby, just kill it. And here's, here's the super huge danger that you could hear right now as American church listeners, is that you think this point mostly right now is about the government. And it's not about the government mainly. Again, this fits into a narrative. This story of Egypt being enslaved is a picture of our sin. Sin is always going to want more from you. And it's going to lie to you that just one more time is all it's gonna take. And then you can leave it alone. It's gonna lie to you that it's just, it's just between you and this other thing. Like it just, it's not a big deal. Nobody's gonna notice. And sin's always gonna just nibble at you while it can get away with it until it's fully grown and it brings death. This is what James says. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire James gets just, he just gets done uh, saying in the verse before this that, that God doesn't tempt anyone. But what happens is, is that we have these desires that are in us that desire for the wrong things. And as that desire crosses with temptation, we act and we do things that we shouldn't do or we don't do things we know we should do. And we rebel against God's good, created, perfect order. Even though he has been so generous, even though he has poured out so much for us, we rebel and we do things that we ought not to. And, we, and all the while, what we're doing when we're sinning is, is the, the more like grievous thing that's going on is we're neglecting the fact that God should be our sole source and provider. And yet we turn to all these different things for our own satisfaction, for our own pleasure, for our own comfort, all these different things. And, and he says, the desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings death. Brings death. Listen to me, like, I, I, we say this from time to time, but like you you cannot just entertain sin. Put it to death or it will be putting you to death. As Pharaoh, Pharaoh was caught up in this, he has this hardened heart. He, he's, he's insecure and he's operating out of this insecurity and he starts doing these things. And he probably like, I don't know, I got to imagine at least at some point that Pharaoh's like, what am I doing? But he just keeps doing it and it just keeps pulling him farther. Sin is insatiable. It's never going to let go. The only way that it's ever going to relent is for you to finally go, I can't do this anymore. I am hopelessly up against an enemy that I cannot defeat on my own. And in that moment, what you do is you turn and you ask Jesus for his intervention. You, you turn and ask Jesus for his intervention. And that's when you're all of a sudden given this new power that even though, even though I think every single person sitting in this room who's following after Jesus would say, uh, yeah, you know what? I still make mistakes every now and then. We, we also would say at the same time that, yeah, but I've been given a power that sin, it, even though it calls, I don't answer the phone every time. See, what's, what's, what's here on the table for you right now is to trust in Jesus to the point where you go, okay, um, that may be what's in front of me and that may be what I've done a million other times before this, but right now what I'm choosing is I'm choosing to, I'm choosing to trust in the Lord in this moment. I'm not gonna give myself over to that right now. 
Sin's insatiable, but Jesus is the one who can actually save you. The last point that I see in this, in this and it kind of ties in with this sin, is that uh, God's kindness is, is available even in the most dark days. I, I am so struck by the end of this story uh, here in Exodus 2, where, where we, there's, this, there's this Hebrew woman, we don't even get her name, right? And she has a son. And, and under the order, that son could be just killed at any time. And so she's, you got to imagine just the, the fear and the panic and the hurt and the hardship that she's facing, that she ultimately has to choose that she's going she's gonna to surrender the life of her firstborn son, Moses. Well, maybe not firstborn son, Aaron, maybe, you know, there's a whole debate. Anyways, she's going she's gonna to actually have to kill Moses. And so she can't, I mean, you just kind of picture, she can't bear the thought. She's trying to hide him. She's, she's nervous that somebody else is going to kill him. So she, she kind of fashions up this only thing that she can really rationalize is she goes, okay, I'm just going to make this little uh, boat and I'm just going to float him down the Nile and maybe then he'll be safe. But in her heart, she's, she's letting go of her son in that moment. Like, can you imagine the pain? Can you imagine the heartache to take your little infant, your little, your little child and just go, okay, I, I just can't live with this, this, op- this oppression and this persecution anymore. And I'm just going to, I'm going to sacrifice my son. And the kindness of God in that moment to have Pharaoh's daughter, again, it's daughters, they're going to bring down, like it's, it's daughters that are going to bring down the most strong empire the world has seen to date so far. And, and, and Pharaoh's going to see the death of his kingdom come through the hands of a bunch of girls. Really, there's no Moses without these girls. And so Moses is picked up out of the water and the kindness of God to, to go like, oh my gosh, we got to find this baby. Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's daughter is going, oh my gosh, we got to find a, a way for this baby to eat. And so Pharaoh is then just miraculously brought back to his own mom so that she can feed him. And so she can nurse, listen, um, I don't care. I don't care. Formula, breastfed, it doesn't matter to me. All right. That's not the point here. What I want to acknowledge though, is that like, there is something like there is an intimate and special bond between a mom and a baby in those moments. Amen. And the kindness of God to bring this kid back to her, it's, it's not even a necessary part of the story. It's so not. This did not need to happen, but God is kind. And I just want to encourage you today. I, like, I imagine there are some really rough things happening in some lives right now. I don't know if it's a marriage that's just in shambles. I, I've, I've talked to so many people who are like, my job, I've been with this company for how many years? And now like, I might lose my job because I don't know what to do about the vaccine. And that's hard. That's hard. Like, I just want to acknowledge, like, that's a tough spot to be. And I'm sorry you're there for sure. Uh, there, there are people who have way bigger things like that. They have wayward children, people who have, who have just like all this strife with family, with brothers, with sisters, with moms, with dads. Like, it's just, it's all over. There are dark days that are sitting in this room right now. But I promise you, if you look for it, the kindness of God is more close than you think it is. If you just look for it, if you will just be diligent to go, okay, God, how, how are you still providing? How are you still showing up? God is still being abundantly kind. Uh, Paul writes it this way. Our, our small group just started re- reading Romans and uh, Paul says it this way in Romans chapter two. He says, do you, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, but because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Eugene Peterson, um, you know, he's rewrote the whole Bible and it's now the message uh, translation, message version. And I, I just love the way that he puts it in Romans chapter two, verses four and five. He says, you didn't think, did you? Cause he's, Paul's writing to the Jewish people. He's like, you didn't think, did you? That just by pointing your finger at others, you would distract God from seeing all your misdoings and, and, 
and from coming down on you hard? Or did you think that because he's um, such a nice God, he'd let you off the hook? Better think this one through from the beginning. God is kind, but he's not soft. God is kind, but he's not soft. In kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into radical life change. So listen to me. If you are never meditating on, if you're never looking for, and if you're never seeing the kindness of God moving in your life, you're not, you're not going to have the capacity to turn to him and to repent and to live your life in a different way. And so the invitation here, what we're going to do is we're going to spend the last about 10 minutes in communion. And I just want to invite you as you come to, to let your mind meditate on and sit on how God has been continually kind to you. Even if you're in the middle of it right now, even if you're in the middle of it, I promise you could still run through your mind the places that he's shown up, the places where he's provided, the places where he's poured out his love. And you can still sit on, you can meditate on, you can embrace the kindness of God. And as you embrace the kindness of God, what it's going to do is it's going to sustain you to keep going in the dark days. Like it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to give you this capacity, this reserve of fuel to keep on pressing in as you need to keep going. It's going to give you the ability to actually, if you're someone who's, who's sitting in here today and you're like, man, if I'm real honest, I'm kind of stuck in this snare of sin. Like I just keep giving myself over to it. Um, if you're really, really honest, maybe you'd say, I don't even feel that bad that I do it anymore. Because what you've done is even though, even though you maybe grew up in a Christian home, even though you maybe love him and you love Jesus and, you're, and your mind is for him, your heart has been deadened by the fact that you have just entertained this sin so long that it has made you numb to the voice of the Holy Spirit in your heart. And you just don't even feel guilty when you do it anymore. And I promise you in this moment, if what you want to do is you want to turn and you want to set your mind on the kindness of God, he's going to actually invite you into repentance. Actually invite you into a life-giving relationship with him. And so I just want to invite you to uh, come and grab communion elements as your heart is ready. What we, uh, uh, there's two cups in the thing. So just come on down as your heart is ready and grab them. And we're, we're not going to close this all out together. I'll come up and pray when it's all said and done. But as your heart is ready, you, you take the elements. You take the elements and you receive them. My only ask that as you is that as you approach the communion table, we have some up here, some in the back, some in the balcony, they're all over. As you approach the communion table, uh, maybe you just need to take a second. You need to make sure you're right with the Lord before you do. And you just need to go, okay, God, am I, am I walking in a cheap version of your grace where I just kind of operate with this license to sin all the time? But, but, but please hear me. If you come with him, come to him with this repentant heart and you go, okay, God, no, I, I want to set my face wholly on you. God, I, I want to I walk the way that you want me to walk. I want to do the things that you want me to do. I don't want to get intimidated by people. I'm sick of this fear of man that I have where I keep giving in to all these different behaviors. I just want to follow after you, Jesus. I promise as you come to him and as you embrace him, it doesn't mean that your life is going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect either. But all of a sudden, there's going to be this little kindling of a fire that gets going in your heart and your desire to follow after him and your desire and your affection for him and to, and to study about him and to press into what he's doing in your life is just going to keep growing. And isn't that what we want as his followers today? We want to just keep pressing in and keep going deeper to whatever he has for us. So I just want to invite you as your heart is ready to come and find a table to grab the communion elements. And then you just take a moment on your own to pray, thank the Lord, be reminded of his kindness and receive communion today. If you're ready, would you just stand with me? I think maybe just even in this moment, the person you came with, maybe if you just want to kind of grab their hand or if you're just on your own, put your hands right out in front of you. But God, we just ask for more of you. 
God, I pray as, as a as a church body, would we just take a collective step in to the things that you're calling us to do? God, I pray for I pray specifically for all the people who are really uh, just having some anxiety or some anxiousness around what's happening at their work right now and, and the vaccine mandate and stuff like that. I just I pray, God, that you would um, that you'd be present and that you would lead with absolute clear conviction that there and you would you would help all of us as your people. Would we trust you as provider first and foremost? God, I pray for marriages specifically right now. I think of reading about dark seasons or dark times and you just hear stories of how marriages can be sometimes the hardest place. It should be a place of refuge, but God, sometimes it can be just such a place of friction. And so God, I pray that you would minister right now to marriages. Would you soften husbands' hearts and would you soften wives' hearts? That maybe there's been mistakes that have been made. Maybe there have been uh, just disagreements or maybe there's just been just constant battle, God. And I pray that that would just melt away a little bit today here in your presence. And that God, um, as, as we as men and women trust further in you, would you not just strengthen us individually, but would you strengthen our relationships? I pray for the relationships between parents and kids. I pray that, uh, I pray that the kids would just uh, take on this posture of honoring their mom and dad, not because mom and dad are demanding it, but because uh, there's just a real genuine work of the Holy Spirit that's happening in our hearts as kids where we just kind of reach up and go, no, okay, I trust you, mom. I trust you, dad. And would you give all the parents in this room just absolute wisdom and discernment on how to lead with, with the law and how to lead with grace and to do that dance so beautifully and delicately in their kids' lives. God, we just pray that, that we would um, not question ourselves or not doubt ourselves as we walk out of here today. I just I, I commission us as a church to go out of here today in boldness, in confidence, knowing that you've called us and knowing that your plan cannot be stopped. Your plans cannot be stopped. And God, if we would just participate with you and if we would look for you, I pray that we would just see your kindness and that would just embolden us all the more as the people of God to go out into a dark world and to bring your light. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.